0: Okay, so today I am happy to introduce a new guest to the Metaverse show. This time it's co-founder and chief scientist at Hashgraph, Lehman Baird. Welcome, Lehman. Oh, thanks, it's great to be here. Really excited to get you on. Uh, We have been very lucky and privileged to be trusted by you, to be working with you on uh, your ecosystem accelerator. I know we're in the middle of recruitment right now, um, and we're starting to see a really diverse group of use case and startup coming in to look at either they're already building on your ecosystem or they're coming in to build on it. Uh, I'm really excited to see where that takes us. So what we wanted to do was to introduce you as a founder, as a co-founder, also, uh, both Hashgraph as a technology and Hedera as a kind of governance framework. I know you describe the combination of those two things as fast, fair, secure, and well governed. Hashgraph is uh, the first three, and Hedera is uh, the last one. Um, so, off air, we were—I was asking you—you know—do you refer to Hashgraph as a as a blockchain? You said no; it's uh, more of a. DLT, distributed ledger technology, but actually you just refer to it as a ledger. Could you just maybe talk us through that a little
1: bit? Sure. So a lot of people use the word blockchain to refer to DLTs, distributed ledger technologies, in which case I would say that uh, Hashgraph is a great blockchain. Uh, But some people use blockchain to refer to a chain of blocks, a particular technology for achieving it, in which case Hashgraph is better than a blockchain. Uh, in a blockchain, you just have this chain, and as it starts to branch off, you have to chop off branches. There's all sorts of things. With uh, hashgraph, you just have everybody creating this whole lattice of things, this whole graph of things, and then we put them in order. And so it's incredibly fast and incredibly secure, asynchronous, Byzantine fault tolerant. So that's something you don't see in in the blockchains. Um, but is blockchain just meaning DLT? Uh, it is a DLT. It is a ledger, and uh,
0: I'm happy to be in this space. Great. All right. so we'll 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 jump into um, some of that a little bit later. So you know, and I think where we've certainly seen a lot of traction for you guys and why we were very excited to be working with you, of course, is because all the things that you described there, the design choices lend itself to a kind of standard. You might call it an enterprise grade standard, but again, that might sound limiting. It's not only enterprise that can use it, right? But um, it is something that enterprise would feel comfortable using. And also those design choices allow for improvement, of course, in energy efficiency, but then also something that's more performant. And I know we share an excitement for that in the context of the metaverse, which has this requirement for... More performant environments, more immersive experiences, um, and I said it before. I think you know we're at an inflection point where, if there aren't open versions of this stuff that enterprise or even big tech can build on, they're going to default to more closed versions, and I think that's when things potentially start to get quite dystopic. So we're we're really glad. You're, you're here, you're in a race, you're offering an alternative. Um, and we're certainly, you know, you can see that in the traction that you're getting with your council members. Again, something we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, so let's start with you as a, as a founder. So as I said, you're a co-founder, you're the chief scientist, you know, incredible resume. I'm not going to ask you to kind of list it off, but it'd be great to understand like where you're coming from at this problem and, you know, what led you to this problem.
1: Oh, yeah. So this problem just started as... A hobby. Uh, I like math problems. And I thought this there was this cool math problem. Could you have a bunch of computers come to an agreement that is extremely secure? ABFT, the asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance, very, very secure, but extremely fast. And it wasn't that I wanted to make a better blockchain. It was just I wanted to solve a fun math problem. I, I have a whole bunch of math problems that I just I played with for years. And sometimes I will literally go decades and just keep working on the problem and I'll probably never solve it, but it's fun. And you know, sometimes I solve it. So I was just trying to say, could you really get cons- um, this kind of security and speed at the same time? And so I put a lot of time into thinking about it and was able to convince myself, yeah, it is impossible. You have to choose. You can't be fast and secure. You can't be ABFT and also you know 10,000 TPS at the same time. You just can't do that. And the reason is we've known how to be secure for 30 years, but you have to use voting systems where you have all these rounds of voting going back and forth and it's ugly. Uh, Or you can have a leader in charge. Dictators are very efficient, but there's downsides to dictators and you don't have security. What if the dictator is malicious? What if somebody shuts down the dictator with a DDoS attack? Well, if you don't have leaders and you don't have voting, what's left? And so I was able to convince myself, it's just not possible. But I have all these math problems that, you know, I'll figure out that I can't do it and put it aside and it just comes and gnaws at me and it just kind of asks to be picked up again. And so this would happen. I would pick it up again and I'd work for it for a few days and say, okay, no, it really is impossible and set it aside. And this went on for a couple of years. And, uh, And then at one point I realized, wait, when you send a message, if you were to include hashes of the last two messages, the last one you received and the last one you created, just adding two little hashes at the bottom of every message would tie all the messages together in such a way that everyone would know what everyone else knows and when they learned it, which would let you do those voting algorithms purely in your head. You could do these old 30-year-old voting algorithms without sending any votes over the internet, and you instantly then have consensus with zero communication. That's a pretty good amount of communication. For the consensus part, it's zero. And then you just have incredible speed. It's arguably at the speed that the internet would allow. This is arguably as fast as it can be. And yet it's ABFT, which is the highest level of security. And so it actually is possible to do both. And uh, Mance and I thought that was fun. Um, Mance Harmon is, is my business partner. We've been starting companies for the last 20 years, but when we saw this, we said, oh yeah, we got to do this. And so we started a company to do private ledgers to prove them out. And then we started Hedera to do public
0: ledgers. And so at what kind of time horizon are we talking about this problem percolating in your head? Because you founded multiple startups before, right? So there's like a very commercial side to your career. And then also a lot of very research oriented stuff, right? Including the Academy Center for uh, Cyberspace Research Um, U.S. Air Force Academy. So, you know, how long has this problem been in your head and how has any of that kind of background and experience and learning, you know, informed it? Okay, so the
1: research thing is what I've done my whole life. Even as a kid, I would invent algorithms. It's just fun. I I love puzzles and solving math problems is fun. Figuring out algorithms to do things is fun. I've always done that. I have started a bunch of businesses, but you always have to be careful what things are just cool but have no real world practicality, and what things really ought to be a business. And so you always have to make sure that you understand which things do you build businesses. And I've invented really cool things. Um, I, oh, the longest math proof I ever did was like 20 pages long. I published it in a math journal, and it is 100% useless. No one will ever use it for anything. Um, So, you know, there's just different kinds of things. But this one, when we did it, I started, I don't know, 2012 thinking about the problem, but in 2015, when we realized you could make a graph with hashes tying it together, a hash graph, we said, okay, this is big. Um, This is clearly something that the world needs right now. And this is, it solves a real problem and will be part of this wave of ledgers that is just going to change the world. And so Mance and I were then able to start the companies for that.
0: As I say, the the rest is history. (laughs) Um, So I kind of want to fast forward now, right? Because, you know, you guys have been around for a while. We don't need to kind of chronologically cover all of the developments and innovations you know we fast forward now into coming to the end of q1 2022 and there's a huge kind of center of gravity emerging around the technology the ecosystem you know as i said we're very happy and excited to be part of that um, let's just first talk about the governance framework right because i think this is both potentially a criticism by some, but then also a strength um, by others, right? And so how do you refer to the governance framework? Is it public permissioned or what kind of language do you use to describe it?
1: So the ledger is public permissioned, meaning anyone can use it, but you need permission to run a node. So it is public permissioned. The governance is the most decentralized governance of any ledger. So I have heard people say, well, no one should be in charge. Well, I guess that's a nice idea, but that never happens in the real world. In the real world, when there's a power vacuum, somebody's in charge. So you end up with a bunch of miners, maybe only a handful of miners that control it. You end up with a handful of people doing the coding and other people can come along and say, I wanna add some code too, but it's the core group that decides whether your code goes in or not. There's always the core central group that ends up running any, anything. Any organization, any open source thing, any anarchical thing, someone ends up running it. The question is, do you have transparency into what they're doing? Are they just making decisions behind closed doors? And are they decentralized? Do they live on every continent on earth other than Antarctica? Are they under different governments? Are they well-known? Do they have a reputation to protect? And do they publish the minutes of their meetings when they're deciding what to do? This is what we wanted to bring. Radical transparency and decentralization of the governance. And what we have are... 27 council members who are enormous organizations, top 10 universities in the world, Fortune 100 country, uh, companies around the world in different industries, in different academic fields, uh, different things. And they know what they're doing. They also, you know, would you trust one of them? No, I would never trust one of them. Never trust one. It's the whole point of ledgers is you never trust one. But do I trust them to keep tabs on each other, to be checks and balances on each other? Yes. Exactly. That's what you need to do. You can't have a system with no one in charge. We couldn't have a system with no one person in charge or no small cabal in charge. You can ensure that the people in charge are spread out. And these are huge companies. You're not going to bribe them with a million dollars and get them to do something evil that, um, that they're going to be able to hide because they can't hide anything. It's totally transparent. Anything they do. They have a, a very valuable reputation to protect, and they're gonna do what's in their own best interest, but their best interests are checks and balances on each other. Very clear, very out in the open. And why do we go this route? Because we don't just want this to last for a couple of years. This is a system designed to last for 100 years and more. This is the 100-year company, the 100-year ledger. It is intended to be a utility for humanity, all of humanity, for centuries. And to do that, you have to have it governed in a way that it's people that are trustworthy and spread out.
0: And that's what we've done. Yeah, so effectively, you know, the key word there, I guess, is accountability. There's accountability, that, that radical transparency. Um, and how do you determine the complexion or the configuration of that? So you mentioned some academic institutions. Obviously, you've got Google in there, big tech, which scares a lot of people. Um yeah. How do you balance that, that that kind of complexion, that mix?
1: Exactly. So we have diversification in geographical location. They are under different governments. No one government can take it over and control it and do any single thing. They're also in different industries or in even different kinds of things. So you have universities, top 10 in the world universities, London School of Economics, and we have um, TATA, um, we have um, IIT, and we have um, UCL, huge universities. And they're geographically separate, right? They're they're in Europe and they're in India. They have different strengths and weaknesses. They have different emphases. Uh, That's good. We have tech people like Google, you said, and IBM and LG Electronics. That's fantastic. We need tech expertise. We also have banks. Biggest bank in Africa. Oldest bank in South Korea. We have one of the biggest financial institutions in Japan. Uh, We have telecom. Biggest telecom in Europe and one of the biggest telecoms in India. We have legal firms, one of the biggest legal firms in the country, in the country, in the world. Um, Really into NFTs, really interesting stuff with tokenization going on there. So do I trust a big tech company? Of course I don't trust a big tech company. Do I trust a lawyer? I really don't trust a lawyer. But do I trust a diverse group like this to be able to act as checks and balances on each other. Well, yeah, I trust that more than a dictatorship. I trust that more than a small group that meets behind closed doors that's sort of self-elected. I trust this more than um, just anyone being able to randomly vote on decisions without actually understanding what's going on. Um, yeah,
0: I I would trust this. Yeah, and as I said, look, you know, it's not gonna be for everybody, but it doesn't need to be, right? The point is is that um, i think a number of startups a number of enterprise users and even ultimately end users will be comforted by a model like this and might look at it as a more like mature professional approach to looking at what effectively becomes critical infrastructure for the global economy right if you think about the amount of economic activity that's going to flow through something like this then having an understanding about how that system is run becomes increasingly critical so i i think you know as, as we've been launching this accelerator with you we often find together we're we're addressing misunderstandings about uh, hedera right? and that's why i wanted to just tackle some of them right at the top end i think the other one is for whatever reason it's somehow been pigeonholed in the context of financial services and banking, right, Um, because of the transactional throughput. And yes, I know that there are, as you mentioned, a couple of big banks um, actively involved in the governance, I'm sure many more using it. Um, But of course, you know, it's much more than that, right? As I alluded to at the top end, um, the applications in the context of the metaverse, which of course is incredibly expansive, perhaps sometimes difficult to even define. So could you talk us through the spectrum of use case that you're seeing and perhaps some of the more exciting edge use cases in the context of the metaverse?
1: Okay, yes. So in the context of the metaverse, the exciting applications are also in the context of the whole universe, the exciting applications, because the metaverse is a a microcosm of of the real world. And so we have seen a wide range of things. We are seeing financial things. Um, remittances going from South Korea to South Africa. That's really cool. But we're seeing unrelated things. How do you make advertisers be honest? That's a really hard problem. That's a separate thing. And we're seeing tokenization of assets as an application on it. That's another thing. We're seeing people tracking um, COVID vaccines to make sure they're cold at every spot along the way. And marketing, uh, looking at the provenance of things like diamonds and pharmaceuticals and things. We are seeing a wide range of things here. Basically, what we're seeing are applications kind of spread across all of the things that humanity is really interested in. And the metaverse also embodies all of those things. So what is the metaverse? Uh, Well, there's probably VR in there somewhere. But it isn't just VR. Um, I can play my Quest. I love my Quest, too. It's really cool. But, um, but, you know, play by myself on that, and it's a game that's cool. It It is actually better, I think, than playing games on a laptop. But that's not interesting. What's interesting is when you're connecting with other people in a world that is jointly created by people. So the metaverse has to go beyond with just VR. There's an underlying reality, an underlying data set, an underlying rules and things of value that are moving around. So the question then is, where will that be? The real fundamental underlying things, things of value, information, privacy, all of those things of value. Are they going to be one company, that builds a walled garden and all the data is there and they own you? Or or are we going to allow a world where many people can just, any group of people can create a little shared world among themselves and they can interconnect with each other? And so we have a whole ecosystem of worlds that are connecting to each other, shared worlds, and that's the metaverse. This is the vision that we have. We've had this shared worlds vision from the beginning, Hedera is named after Ivy, but before that came Swirlds, which is named after shared worlds. Uh, Swirls was the private ledgers. That's how a small group of friends can create a small shared world, lots of shared worlds. Hedera is a public ledger, a giant shared world, and then they can connect to each other. How do they connect to each other? There's the interesting parts. First of all, we have NFTs on Hedera that are extremely fast. You can do it in a smart contract, but you can also do it at the native layer at 10,000 per second. And you can do the native layer at 10,000 per second and then also use a smart contract when you need it to deal with your NFTs. So you take things of value and you can can put them into the metaverse and then you can have your items in the metaverse that are of value not being locked into one company, but moving from company to company, moving from world to world. Shared worlds can all be interconnected. This is what you do when you put um, tokens, say on Hedera. But then there's other things you can do. The Hedera consensus service is interesting. You can use it for advertising where you record things. You can use it for Providence where you can record things. Uh, You can also though use it to power app nets, which is another kind of shared world. A group of people can have a group of computers and they don't even trust each other to get the consensus. If you don't even trust each other enough for that, you can actually offload all your consensus to Hedera Hedera puts all your transactions in order with a strong trust and you inherit the trust from Hedera, but you still can play in your own little shared world by yourself. You can encrypt it and have total privacy and then you can inter communicate with others through that same consensus service. And so it gives you a way of communicating between ledgers and between these shared worlds. And the metaverse needs that as well. The metaverse needs private regions, but then it needs to be able to connect them with each other. You need to have tokens that, are, that act as money or act as scarce resources, but then you need to have them be portable. And then you need to have information that's stored in a secure way that's visible to everyone, like what permissions do I give to give my secrets to others? But then you need the actual secrets, well, I'll just store that myself, and then you need a way to communicate that to others, and that's what our file system on Hedera can be used for. So this is, this is all the stuff that we're enabling right now as we're speaking, and then we've got more coming. With the state proofs, you will have be able to send a message from one ledger to another, from Hedera to some other ledger, and cryptographically prove that this message was the consensus of the sending ledger. And this is really the magic sauce that makes then these shared worlds turn into a true metaverse. Um, so that is, that is the foundation of the metaverse. There's lots of work being done on VR hardware that I think is incredibly exciting. I have interesting, th- people doing research that I've worked with doing things on human-computer interaction, how do you communicate with it? On graphics, what new ways can we do graphics? I'm really excited about lots of parts of, of Metaverse, but the foundation of it, the part that really makes it real, is do we want a walled garden or do we want interoperating shared worlds with Hedera enabling
0: that? Yeah, and I think you know that's the key question, right? So you've recently released the Smart Contract 2.0, so Smart Contracts on Hashgraph you've open sourced all the code base, and as you said, you allow for permissioned, private environments to be created and or more open public environments within within the same universe or metaverse, right? How, How we want to refer to it, and for interoperability across those. Now, there might be a startup that biases towards totally open, totally permissionless, everything on chain, Um, and you'll have others where, you know, they require for various reasons, something that's slightly more permissioned, more curated, and it can enable both of those and allow them to be interoperable. And so I'll give you an example, since writing the Open Metaverse paper, Open Metaverse OS paper a year ago, we've been approached by multiple people, departments within big tech, all asking, you know, what should we be doing with NFTs? Should we be building our own blockchain? Um, you know, can we? Do we have to accept a cryptocurrency to also do NFTs? TikTok's a great example. You know, they want to do NFTs, they don't want to do cryptocurrencies. Facebook, I mean, even Epic, you know, they acknowledge the world of blockchain and Web three, but they and the majority of their users actually don't want to be exposed to full sovereignty in a way, right? So they might want the optionality for transferability, but they also want to be in a curated space where they're safe and, you know, where there's some permissioning around who can mint NFTs and some kind of trust reputation system. And so, you know, I I see what what you built as something that can allow for both of those things. With its core, it enables all these things around full sovereignty, full transferability, digital property rights which move big tech away from the dystopia, or at least you know, the status quo of where we are now with Web2, um, but also allows them kind of a, a middle ground to play in, right? Now, if if we can geek out a little bit on where, where all that could go. So the reason why I personally think the metaverse, the open metaverse needs something like Hedera is because let's say we talk about composability so i can imagine it's not just about composability of protocols and how in combination they can complete a web3 stack but it's also about composability of content so like a shared library of nfts that can people can configure reconfigure and build worlds with now on the one hand if that's somebody or a team manually doing that then doesn't necessarily need to be so performant, right? But then you're still bound by the production times it takes to create a game, to create a movie, to build a virtual world. It's several years, it's hundreds of millions of dollars, it's thousands of people. Um, There just isn't enough content to supply the demand that people have now for entertainment and, and immersive experience. But if you could have a world in which... Those environments, those verses, part of the metaverse are assembled real time by algorithms at the very edge of it. Then being experienced by the individual. You know, that would require a level of performance that's just not possible on any other DLT, right? And so am I being a total fantasist? I mean, I know I'm talking about a a future case, but is, is these the kind of things that could be possible on your technology? Absolutely. So we have this HIP process, HIDAR
1: improvement process, where people are submitting HIPs. HIPs can be recommendations for new features, but they can also be things like standards. And we are extremely interested in also going to real standard committees and getting standards. In fact, there's a whole bunch of different projects we're involved in right now with that. What we need to do is build a world where anyone can build the puzzle pieces, and then they just fit together. And everybody's puzzle pieces fit with everybody else's puzzle pieces. You want to be able to have a resource in one game that is an NFT that you can then take to another game and still own that NFT. Hey, NFTs give you ownership, that's wonderful. But that doesn't do any good if that second game can't understand the ones and zeros that you own. You have to have interoperability on understanding what is this thing that I own that I want to have portable. Um, and you, you can set up systems for, for saying, I want to protect my privacy, so let me say how my, my private information can be used. But unless everyone speaks the same language, no one will know how to honor my, my request. So it's all about standards. It's all about this interoperability, composability. Uh, this is important. Then what you really want to be able to do is make it extremely easy for anyone to build pieces of this whole system. So they don't have to start from scratch. So you want to have things like libraries that make it easier to write your programs, but you also want tools that let you do things without having to write any programs. You want to be able to have, um, you know, you can download the the Swirls SDK, you can start your own little ledger just instantaneously. And we've been putting a lot of effort in Hedera in making even that extremely easy, where you can just spin up a node or spin up a whole bunch of nodes and network just instantly, very easily. Uh, So these are important. And then there's things in between between creating your own little ad hoc network that's here temporarily maybe, or having a big public network like Hedera, you can do indiv- littler things where maybe you use Hyperledger or you use E3 Corda or EA or something to create a ledger. And then at the bottom of your ledger, you plug you have a plugin that uses our consensus service to let Hedera actually be doing the consensus. And you can be encrypting all your transactions. So Hedera can't read what you're doing. The whole world can't read what you're doing, but you get the trust of Hedera. And so we have that kind of a hybrid model also. And people have been using that. Uh, the three systems I just mentioned, Hyperledger and E3 and EA, we have plugins that allow you to just have your consensus come from Hedera. You have the trust of Hedera, but the privacy of a little private network. So you want long running private networks. You want little tiny ad hoc networks that only last for a few hours. You want giant public networks that are going to last for... Uh, centuries, and you want them all talking to each other and, and all the ability to talk to each other built in and make it easy to do.
0: That's our vision and that's what we're pursuing. So bit, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. I realized we blasted through half an hour. Um, that went a lot quicker than uh, I'd uh, had expected. So always a good sign. Um, so what I would say is if what you've heard today inspires you and you know, hopefully sounds like a solution for your use case, no matter the stage of maturity of your startup, definitely reach out to either us or the Hedera Hushcraft team. And hopefully we can look at bringing you into the accelerator program we're recruiting at the moment. And we'll be doing a couple of those each year. Thematically, very open. You can be, from a staging perspective, um, a pre-seed startup with an MVP all the way through to revenue-generating, um, business with users, you know, thousands of users um, looking to kind of develop a Web3 proposition. So make sure you get in touch there. It's outliveventuresio slash Basecamp. Other than that, Lehman, thanks so much for coming on. As I said, really excited to be working with you and looking forward to shouting about the uh, the next cohort as, um, as they're selected over the coming weeks.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, it's been great talking with you and I'm excited about what you're doing with that. That's
0: just great. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.